My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Week at VA. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. If you missed the announcement from last week, This Week at VA has been nominated for a podcast award in the Government and Organizations category, and that was only made possible because of the support and listenership that this show receives. So thank you to all that listen and for sharing with your friends. Truly appreciate it. On today's docket, we have an interview with Army veteran Rory Cooper. He's a VA research engineer and uh, has done a lot of great research and developments. We'll get into that. Uh, we have a look at Explore VA's website and the value that that brings. And, of course, our veteran of the day first. And, of course, there's always a thing that comes before the list of things I just mentioned. But first, I have some audio from Secretary Shulkin's remarks at the 2017 American Legion Convention. Recently, I, I believe I played notes from his AMVETS convention, as well as the Choice and Quality Employment Act signing, and I'm going to continue with the, tre the that trend with this week's American Legion convention. I'm spotlighting these audio bites because Secretary Shulkin's priorities and the improvements being made to VA are important for veterans, their families, their caregivers, and anybody uh, with any vested interest in VA's transformation. I believe last week, uh, Secretary Shulkin mentioned the marginal improvements that were being made by VA this year compared to the years before, uh, and that he has five priorities moving forward. I think that's where the audio stopped. Um, so this week, I'm going to play the first two of those priorities, those being uh, greater choice and modernization. Uh, I'm going to do. I'm going to play those two this week, and then I'll play the other three. Uh, that follow next week. Uh, that way you can digest them in smaller bites and we can get to our featured interview that much sooner. So here is Secretary Shulkin at the American Legion Convention in Reno, Nevada. What I'd like to do in a very brief period of time is talk to you about the five priorities that I have to really transform the VA, to get it to be the type of organization that we all know that it can be. And these are the five things that I believe we have to focus on to get us there. So I'm going to take you through it. The very first is to give you, veterans, greater choice in your decision making. I think that's fundamentally important. It's our primary strategy on how we're going to make the VA a better place, by making it more competitive. When people want to get services from you, that makes you perform better, and it makes you stay on top of your game. So. Our major legislative requirement going forward that we're going to work on this fall is to get the choice program working in a way that works better for you, takes out the red tape, takes out the complexity, and changes it from a system based on administrative rules to a system that functions in a clinical way, the way that health systems should function. So that will give veterans greater choice over their care. We're going to eliminate the 40-mile, 30-day requirement, that just doesn't make sense for people who want to get health care. And we're going to add a new benefit 
for walking clinics so that people who live a distance away from the VAs don't have to drive 50 miles or 100 miles to get a flu shot or a chest x-ray or a lab test. So this is all about giving veterans more choice in their decision making and making the VA work better for them by working with a stronger VA and with community partners. The second of our priorities is to really modernize the VA. And for too long, I think we've neglected modernizing the VA. And so this is, you're going to see a number of decisions that I'm going to be announcing to modernize this system because I believe veterans deserve the very best that this country can offer. The first of those decisions that you may have seen is I've announced that we're going to be replacing our information technology system, our electronic medical record, with the same system that the Department of Defense uses. This is a commercial, top-notch, off-the-shelf system. And it just makes sense. We know where all of our customers are going to come from. One place, the Department of Defense. And why should we lose all the information that we have on veterans when they come to work at the, when they come over to the VA? So we're working hard to get that implemented and working with Congress to get the funds appropriated. Um, we also are going to be updating our facilities. And too many of our facilities are getting old and in disrepair. So I've announced that we're going to be disposing of 1,100 facilities that are vacant or underutilized and reinvesting those resources that we're spending back into facilities that veterans are being cared for in right now. And that will allow us to rebuild and to modernize our VA. If you take a look at some of our facilities, we actually have over 400 facilities from the Civil War and the Revolutionary War. And these are old buildings. On the other hand, you can see at the bottom right, we have some of the best facilities in the country. This is our Palo Alto VA, all single rooms, places where families can stay with their veterans, really beautiful. I want all of our facilities to be able to look like that. And so we're now heading in that direction. Again, I'll play priorities three, four, and five uh, at the top of next week's show. Today's featured interview is with with Rory Cooper. I first met Rory Cooper at the VA Medical Center in Pittsburgh. He was showcasing a number of products that he helped research and develop, like uh, you know different types of wheelchairs and such. I called upon him to join me on the podcast here when I saw that he was a top 12 finalist for the Samuel J. Heyman Service to America People's Choice Award. He's also nominate, nominated in the Science Environment category. Some of you may know that award as the Sammies. Uh, Rory is going to talk to us about his service in the Army, his spinal cord injury, accommodations for people using wheelchairs, and the evolution that we've seen in this country uh, from when he was first injured until now, and his research that is benefiting those with similar disabilities. Enjoy. Uh, all right, Mr. Rory Cooper, uh, some you and I met uh, last year in Pittsburgh at the MVAC meeting that was there at the at the facility. You were showing off uh, a new chair, I think it was. That's called. correct. Yeah, we had uh, two products actually, well, three products. We had the the new chair, which uh, it, we're pretty excited about. The um, the power chair version has been licensed to uh, Morgan's uh, Wonderland and Morgan's Inspiration Island is being used down in San Antonio now um, at their water park, 
and uh, if, and is uh, just starting to go into uh, production. And we had the MeBot, which is our mobility enhanced robotic wheelchair. Uh, that we just collected some data at the National Veterans Wheelchair Games with veterans participating in the games. And uh, we had our virtual seating coach, which uh, 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 right about the time we had that meeting in Pittsburgh, um, came on the market from uh, Permobile. And so uh, it's hopefully out there helping veterans uh, reduce their risk of pressure ulcers and lymphedema and other disabilities. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, we're going to get much more into, into your work and research where we're going to go back to the beginning, the, the beginning of the story that we all sort of have in common. And that's the decision to join the United States military. Uh, bring us back to that day for you. Uh, well, that was quite a while ago for me, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my, uh, my, my father and some of my uncles had served in the, in the army and, uh, um, I was a Boy Scout, actually an Eagle Scout, and um, the and a lot of our Scout masters and Scout leaders were also veterans, and it uh, just seemed like a natural way for me to uh, to serve my country and to um, see a little bit of the world uh, outside of the small town I grew up in in California, and. Uh, um, to, uh, to it was seemed like for me the the right way to start off my uh, my adult career. Sure, and and what year was that? Um, I uh, actually joined the army in uh, 1976 and entered basic training in uh, 1977. Okay, and then and how long did you serve? Uh, well, I got injured uh, in July 23rd of 1980. Uh, but it was officially uh, discharged in 1982. Gotcha. Um, during your time in, um, and this, uh, you can choose anything here. Um, t- give me a story, an experience, uh, something that maybe you recall on often, or something you feel like epitomizes your service that you can share with us. Uh, well. Um you know, unfortunately, I served in in Germany during the peacetime. I mean, probably what epitomized my service is that uh, um, in 1979, I met a uh, young uh, German girl uh, named uh, Rosemary Amons, and uh, um, we got married in 1982, and now we've been married for over 35 years. So uh, that's uh, obviously is probably one of my uh, uh, longest lasting memories of military service. Um, I remember my sergeant major when I got over to uh, to Germany telling me, uh, "Ooh, Cooper, you're 18 years of age. You're going to be here for three years. Uh, in all likelihood, you'll go home with either a cuckoo clock, a car, or a wife." So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and of those three, you got one. Did you get any of the other two? Uh, no, I didn't. I still don't have a cuckoo clock. I still don't have a German car. So, but uh, very happy with uh, the German wife. So, yeah. Well, congratulations. Um, thirty-five years you. is is a long time. I'm married just over thirty-five days. So, uh, not as impressive of a stat, but I'm I'm hoping I can get there. So, uh, um, you know the, uh, um, I, you know for me. Uh, of course, the other lasting memory is that uh, the support that uh, I received 
from my uh, superiors and from my uh, unit once I was injured. Um, the uh, um, I work for on the staff of uh, General Major General Clarence McKnight as a civil affairs uh, NCO, and um, he has actually the reason that I uh, went on to study engineering. He himself was an electrical engineer, and he, um, when uh, I would do my briefings with him, and actually what, he would encourage me to uh, to go on to college and study engineering. And of course, his uh, he was trying to motivate me to to take ROTC and come back in the army as an officer. Um, uh, but even after I was injured, he uh, visited me several times in the hospital and encouraged me to. Uh, to uh, pursue, continue to pursue uh, um, uh, college and become an engineer, and so I think that was uh, a huge influence on me. I was also a, a, a very a fairly successful and advocate uh, and um, avid runner when I was in the army, and uh, was uh, greatly influenced by um, uh, two young captains. Uh, 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 Joe Young and uh, Randy Black, uh, both of whom I'm still in in, in uh, communication with all these years later, um, who are my running partners and also uh, um, were very supportive and in mentoring me as a young as a young soldier. Um, and I think you know the other experience is just uh, um, the friendships that I made and some of those are, are, are lasting even uh, you know over 35 40 years later which is pretty amazing um, you know, some of the seminal experiences of course you have experiences and exercises or um, uh, other uh, other events too that uh, just kind of help form that uh, that lasting bond yeah um, the um you know, I don't know how much of the story you're you're willing to share, but I'm. I would at least like the audience, if you're willing, if you can explain to them what your injury is. Um, so the you know the primary injury that I have is a um, is a spinal cord injury at the uh, just below the chest. So that um, causes uh, paralysis of my uh, of my legs, basically the lower extremities for me. So I use a, a manual wheelchair. Um, I've been fortunate that that's what uh, the, I do for research, and that also that the VA provides uh, uh, veterans um, with uh, with uh, uh, high quality assistive devices. Um, and there's obviously variation from VA to VA, but if you um, can get to one of the spinal cord injury centers or spinal cord injury clinics. Uh, my experience is that uh, they do an excellent job, and I'm, I've uh, not only work in the VA, but uh, I receive my care from the VA, um, and I'm I'm very happy with both. Yeah, um, and uh, again, you can you can answer this uh, as little or as much as you're comfortable with. But when you transitioned out. Uh, after your injury and you transitioned out, how, did you face any sort of emotional challenge or emotional crisis like a lot of veterans uh, seem to face? Yeah, I mean, of course. Um, I, I think it's sort of twofold. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess really in my case, three. Um, you know, I got uh, sort of uh, you know torn away from um, the 
woman that I was engaged to and wasn't sure we would, you know, we'd be remain in contact because we weren't married at the time. You know, she had no um, privileges even to know where I was or how to contact me um, until I reached out to her. Now that, of course, of causes a very, there's the, um, there's a transition to having a disability, right? So your whole life has basically changed directions. Um, and, um, I didn't, you know, didn't have like a lot of, uh, people that didn't have a lot of experience with disability, um, beforehand. So I didn't know what exactly what my expectations what, uh, were. And then the other part is that, um, you're also torn away from your, your unit and your friends and, um, in not knowing, uh, sort of losing that support system as well. That's why I think it's extremely important today where we have you know, the Marine Wounded Warrior Regiment and the uh, Army Warrior Transition Command and similar units for the Navy and the Air Force, uh, and on the and as well as the office uh, on the VA to, uh, for DOD VA coordination and seamless transition to um, to try to make that process a little bit easier and so you're not sort of uh, uh, you know, ripped away from the the military, um, uh, um, and but you and you still have that support system, and you're still um, and your service is recognized and valued. Yeah, absolutely. Something I'm I'm curious about uh, in um, you know, I've never uh, really had to think about it much in my life, but um, one thing I've always wondered. Um, Tell me about the evolution you've seen in the logistics of being in a uh, in a wheelchair from when you first had to start using one and until now. Has it has it improved or like when you go somewhere? How much research do you have to do in the building or the location you're going to to make sure that you can even access it or it can accommodate? Well, it's uh, it's certainly improved. Uh, let's give me just, let me just give you a few examples. So when I was first injured, I couldn't rent a car because you couldn't. None of the car agent, car rental agencies offered cars with hand controls. Um, you uh, hotels uh, did not have uh, accessible rooms, so uh, there were times that I would travel, especially like for example, even going to the National Veterans Wheelchair Games in the early 1980s or all the way through the 1980s, for example. There were times where I might have to uh, basically hop out of my chair and crawl on my uh, on my hind end to uh, to get into the bathroom into the to use the toilet or the shower. Hmm. Uh, that there were no grab bars. Um, believe it or not, before the Air Carrier Transportation Act, it wasn't uncommon for me to get to the airport and have the um, gate agent say, uh, "Oh, you're not allowed to get on this plane without an attendant." And oh, wow. I'd say, I don't need an attendant. I can, you know, get it on and off the plane by myself. And they would say, well, sorry, sir, without an attendant, you can't fly. And I would have to go and uh, I would look around and find a sympathetic person and ask them if they would be willing to be my attendant for the flight. And uh, and most people would uh, they'd, they'd be a little hesitant and ask what that entails. And I basically would say, it just entails telling the flight and the, 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 the gate agent that you'll be my attendant in case the plane crashes. Um, which of course, you know, nobody's going to hold you to that obligation if the plane crashes. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, and uh, if you're if the plane crashes and both you and that person survive, you're kind you're kind of a dick if you're like, sorry, I, I was I was lying, I and mean, they run off. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so what, I mean, like, what about um, I mean, what about now? Like, how, how you know if so now things have gotten better. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, by and large, uh, all hotels have accessible rooms. They're not necessarily great. We need to. Uh, to work really on the uh, accessibility standards so that they're um, more accommodating. So even today, I had to do some research, and um, I've got to know, uh, especially the major chains, which which ones do a better job in accommodating um, guests with disabilities. Uh, you can actually you know, rent cars with hand controls now, which is a tremendous benefit. And I can fly, and you get some airlines, you know, are very accommodating where they have um, seats up front that you can um, transfer into more easily uh, than um, and, and in some cases even get to with your wheelchair without having to transfer into the aisle chair. Um, the, you know, of course, there's some uh, a little bit and changes in the airlines have kind of caused some problems too with the um, – the more use of regional jets, they're very difficult to get in and out of. So that's one of the things I have to look at is, you know, is it a regional jet? Um, and oftentimes that'll make my decision whether I'm going to drive or fly. Um, and buildings are still a challenge. Um, we really need to use more technology, I think. Well, I think first architects need to design buildings where where people with disabilities, especially people in wheelchairs, can come in the main entrance hmm. rather than um, creating some sort of grandiose main entrance and then um, having the person in the wheelchair have to find uh, some hidden um, accessible <laughs> entrance. <laughs> and, Sorry, I'm just picturing like the bellhop being like, no, sir, you, go in, you have to go into the back. <laughs> Yeah, and that does happen to me yeah. today. Um, I mean, I uh, believe me, I've seen a lot of kitchens at restaurants in my life because uh, <laughs> that's usually where there's a ramp to carry dollies up for bringing packages or food yeah. in. And that's, uh, oh, yeah, we have an accessible entrance. It's uh, go around to the back, and it's this, you know, 45-degree slope that was made for carrying a dolly up. And um, so, yeah, they're uh, – well, actually um, – when I was first injured, my congressman was Leon Panetta, and he was very helpful. But uh, to tell you a funny story how things used to be, he had an office in California, and, and he asked to meet with me when I uh, got out of rehab. And uh, just uh, I, I think uh, we formed sort of a relationship. And um, believe it or not, we're still in communication to this day as well. And uh, he, um, his staff, his office was on the second floor of like an old Victorian house and uh, his staff realized that uh, I was in a wheelchair. So they literally nailed boards to the stairs to form a ramp. <laughs> oh my goodness. Fortunately, I showed up with a friend of mine and we looked at it and we thought, I guess that means they expect us to go up the, ra- up the stairs. So, you know, with me pulling on the rail and him pushing from behind, we got up there. But, uh, <laughs> Um, things have gotten a lot better since then. It's uh, uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, and I I only laugh because I think it's ridiculousness that pe- that you know people with that, with that don't need accommodations don't see. You know, and uh, I can only imagine that 
uh, it's probably disappointing and frustrating, but part of you, like, like with the story you just told, kind of has to, like, sort of roll your eyes at the situations that, uh, that you end up getting put in um, with lack of accommodations. I'm glad to hear that things are improving. I always – I didn't – the reason why that, uh, that kind of came to mind was I remember um, my – uh, my wife's place when she lived in Columbus, you know, uh, we didn't really think about it, and, and, and accommodations came up in conversation. And we sort of looked around, and we were like, holy smokes, if we had a friend in a, that was in a wheelchair, we, they would not be able to visit. You know, just being able to get up to the apartment wouldn't be possible. Um, well, that's a great point. I mean, uh, accessible and affordable housing is, you know, one of the huge barriers today, as well as as well as transportation, right? Uh, um, I mean, I'm hoping that self-driving cars, uh, uh, if we uh, can convince the Ubers and the Lyfts and the Fords and GMs and all those different organizations getting involved in self-driving cars or autonomous vehicles to uh, think about people with disabilities and making them accessible as well as autonomous, that could be a huge benefit to people with disabilities. The other uh, part is housing. Now, more and more cities, even like the city of Pittsburgh, we have a visitability law that that says that new construction codes should at least con- uh, include um, uh, uh, a wheelchair-accessible entrance and a wheelchair-accessible bathroom, uh, in, e- even in residential dwellings um, for uh, in new construction. But you know that every time we've moved over the years, that's been a huge challenge: is finding a place that we can live in. And of course, we've always had to do extensive uh, renovations on any house that we've uh, either rented or purchased. Uh, right. Yeah, rented or purchased. And uh, to- just when you make those renovations, does that at all change? Like, does that make it harder to sell because it doesn't have that? Tra- like, I imagine the the accommodations sort of change the the orthodox look uh, look of the house does it make it easier to sell because it provides accommodations that others don't have or is it more difficult to sell uh because because of the renovations are specific um well you know i think that's changing um because of uh i think you know uh 20 years ago it, uh i remember a real estate agent saying oh this is going to be make it more difficult to sell the home and my experience is now that that's actually changing. Um, people look at that as a, a sort of a um, friends visiting with disabilities. They're more aware. Um, also, the ability to age in place. So it's like, oh, this you know this home already has a lot of features. Um, and if you do it right, um, or if it's done well, uh, then it just you know it still looks like a nice normal home. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, we. You know, our home here in Pittsburgh, we get a it's it's been made fully accessible and um, and we get a lot of compliments. It's actually very funny when we get like a new uh, dishwasher delivered or a new refrigerator or something like that. The uh, the delivery people are always like, oh, wow, I can't believe that you have your house is so easy for us to put stuff in. <laughs> most people don't think about that. It's like, yeah, well. You know, anything to make your life easier to get that refrigerator <laughs> in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like I made a house easier to put myself in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
very well. Well, Dr. Cooper, I really appreciate uh, you providing insights on on uh, accommodation stuff. I think, like I said, it's it's a part of life that uh, that you know I just don't experience, don't get to see. So, uh, but let's talk about your research. You you are nominated uh, for a Samuel J. Heyman Service to America Medal. You've made, I believe, they're at what the final twelve at this point. Um, yeah. Final 12, uh, September 1, a top four is announced, and then on the 15th, voting closes. Um, you've been recognized for uh, a lot of your hard work within research. Uh, can you can you speak on that, sort of what, uh, what specifically you're being recognized for uh, and sort of how you came about that research? Uh, sure. Well, I'm actually, uh, just for your listeners, I'm actually in the running for uh, in two categories. So I'm a finalist uh, in the um, People's Choice. So I hope that they will uh, they will go online and vote for me. Um, I'm I'm the only VA finalist, so yeah. you know, so got to cheer for the home team. That's right. Um, and I'm also a finalist in the um, Science and Environment category, which a panel of judges will choose. So. Um, uh, hopefully you'll keep our uh, fingers crossed that the VA gets uh, a win in one of those categories. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, in the in the research that you that you've done for to get this recognition. So um, the research that I've done is uh, basically to uh, to uh, help our uh, veterans with disabilities and uh, and American citizens, well, all, all all Americans with disabilities, and for that matter, people around the world with disabilities. Uh, I um after I was uh, injured uh, with support from the VA I I received degrees uh, I, or I earned degrees in uh, uh bachelor's masters and PhD in engineering um and uh um I was fortunate to get a postdoc in the VA and discover that uh designing technology to help our uh uh our veterans with disabilities was a a career option uh and so um I work on building better wheelchairs, uh, robotics, robot device, robotic devices, uh, prosthetic limbs. Um, uh, we just work in uh, cognitive aids and home and worksite uh, modifications as well. So basically in the realm of uh, applying uh, technology to uh, promote uh, uh, full participation of uh, veterans with disabilities and people with disabilities. And uh, I've done a lot of work in uh, – early on, I did a lot of work in wheelchairs and still do, and actually in adaptive sports as well. Um, But uh, in probably the last uh, 15 years, I expanded quite considerably into uh, um, intelligent machines and uh, robotic systems for um, – as technologies to help people with disabilities. Sure. Is this is this a, a career path that you think you would have taken had you been injured? Um, it's not likely. No, I'm not. I'm not sure. I would have what I would have done. Um, uh, Do you think the, you were a uh, lifer in the army? Were you, were you a lifer? You know, I, I don't know. I was pretty young when I was injured. Um, I think I, I certainly wanted to get a college degree, and uh, coming back. Um, through ROTC was certainly on my uh, one of my options that I was considering, um, but uh, it's you know in retrospect it's hard. I'm you know, to be honest, I'm the type of person that um, focuses uh, less of my energy on what my life could have been and yeah. uh, focusing on 
what my life, uh, uh, you know, take advantage of the opportunities presented to me to, to enjoy the life that I have. Um, so, um, but now I, 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 I'm sure that I, uh, hopefully I would have done something to make a contribution. It could have been in the military, could have, um, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I've always had an interest in, uh, in, in technology as well. And so maybe I would have wound up at, at NASA or some other, um, agency or who knows in the private sector. It's, it's pretty hard to say, but, uh, one thing I can say is that, uh, uh, despite the the, um, the spinal cord injury and the disabilities, um, I've, I'm very happy with my life and, um, and and grateful with the opportunities that I've I've had to serve other veterans. Uh, I'm not sure if I hadn't been injured, I would have discovered anything that has been uh, so fulfilling um, as as my career has been. Yeah, um, do you? Do you have a story that you can share where some, maybe a, a discovery um, or uh, a discovery that you made got manifest that got made into reality, and then you got to watch a veteran benefit from from that research? Do you have a, do you have a story like that? Oh, I can tell you a couple of them just just from this year, as a matter sure. of fact. Um, so I'll uh, try to tell you one without choking up, but. Uh, earlier this, so I've been working uh, uh, with a, a company called Next Health on uh, developing a wheelchair and bed, a sort of a robotic wheelchair, robotic bed that work together to uh, help veterans get in and out of bed uh, without having to be lifted, uh, because we have a lot of um, you know older veterans with an older caregiver. Or even in my own case, you know, the, it, it would be very difficult for my wife to um, to assist me to get in in bed, and it could put her at risk as well as me. And so, um, we uh, we have some of these. Uh, so the first units have come onto the market, and we've been working on new and improved prototypes. And, and we have the H.J. Hines Center here in Pittsburgh, which is a, a long intermediate and long term care facility for veterans. And at the suggestion of um, our chief of rehab, he said, "You know, you should, you need to uh, get these inventions uh, out, so the the veterans and their families and the clinical staff can see them." So we set up in the in the lobby um, for a day to just kind of get uh, feedback from veterans and their families, and uh, and so there was one of the spouses came by, and she. She talked to us and she looked at the device and she um, she had a lot of questions and she was very interested and then she she left and then um, about uh, an hour later um, she came back with her husband's uh, physician and said uh, asked us to demonstrate it and then told the physician I want one of these. Because I want to take my husband home with me. And, you know, that's, that's, and she, and that's where you see the impact of your research. Yeah. That's, uh, that's powerful. And then um, on a more on a more fun note, so I I, could, I still uh, do research and I participate in the National Veterans Wheelchair Games every year. I think when it, they're one of the VA's more outstanding programs. And um, 
So uh, this year, um, I had uh, um, they have a, an event called the Slalom, which is an obstacle course for wheelchairs, and I had qualified for the Super Giant Slalom, and um, and that's with that's kind of where all the winners get to go to the the top athletes get to do like a extreme slalom, like a sort of an extreme obstacle course, and um, I was uh, several uh, therapists from. Um, various VAs across the United States were kind of uh, sitting there asking me screw the questions like this. Uh, what, what's your, what, are, what kind of research are you doing? And um, how is it, you know, what's uh, what, you know, a little bit, what kind of things should we be looking for? What kind of impact? And I said, um, I said, well, you know what? Um, if you look, uh, everybody that's all 12 of the competitors that have made it to the super giant slalom here, they're all using technologies from our lab. That's awesome. They're all, they're all, all of them. So you're already using, you're, you are prescribing, and their mobility has increased. All of them are using technology that we created. So I, I was even kidding with the competitors. I told them, I said, you know, you, you got to give me a few extra seconds for, because uh, I, I developed, the, I, you know, I created the technology that helped you get here. <laughs> I like that. That has to be that has to be a lot of fun though to be able to um you know I I imagine that in the science world that you know not every researcher not every developer gets to to have the um the pleasure of seeing their work function in reality. So that has to be really rewarding. It is and that that's actually the best you know best part of what we do right is uh is to go out and uh and see your research impact people in a positive way. And, um, you know, that like when I go to the veterans wheelchair games or, um, I go to the hospital, the, the veterans that, you know, know what I do, they're, they're always very gracious and very generous. I, I always get, you know, basically two comments that have, you know, oh, I love this or that, and thank you for doing that research. We really need you to do what you're doing. And then the then the the, the usually the follow up right after that is, um, uh, you should be work. What are you working on? And you should be working on this or that, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, is good because that's what I wanted. You know, I'd like our research to be driven by the needs of veterans and our VA clinicians and. And you know, and in turn, that will benefit everybody. Yeah, that's wonderful, Rory. I want to be uh, mindful of your time, so just a couple more short questions. First, um, what's what's a skill set, a discipline, some sort of talent, or uh, whatever you want to call it, that you learned in the military that you think is contributing to your success today? Um, I, I think there's really two lessons that I learned in the military. I'll, I will tell you that uh, in the NCO basic course, uh, you learn a lot. I use those lessons till today. Uh, one of them is um, if you take care of your people, they will take care of you. Um, and uh, the other important lesson is uh, it's a bit about staying, you know, the, living the Army values, uh, you know, never leave a fallen comrade, uh, selfless service, uh, putting the mission first. Um, all of those uh, have... Uh, um, are, are lessons to live by. And, uh, I think something that, uh, um, makes all veterans, uh, um, stand out just a little bit. Yeah. 
I know that you've had involvement with uh, several veteran organizations, including uh, being advisor to SVA, uh, being the director of the Paralyzed Veterans of America Research Foundation. Uh, but give me give me a, a veteran or a veteran organization that has you excited, where you really admire the work they're doing right now. Oh boy, that's uh, you're really putting me on the spot. I mean, I think there's <laughs> <laughs> sure we can st- we could be here all month talking about this, but just the first one that comes to mind. Well, um, I, I can't give you the first one to give. I'm going to give you two of them that I okay. think um, are um, the Paralyzed Veterans of America has been with me uh, since I was in the hospital. I mean, I I owe much of my success to uh, Paralyzed Veterans of America because uh, um, they were the first to believe in me and their, uh, I, I, you know, uh have every expectation that they will be with me um, until the end. Um, and then the other organization I would have to mention is is Student Veterans of America. They um, one, you know, having been a student veteran, and they have they have. Uh, I, I think that they are going to um, transform America. They this is the work that they are doing um, to help our. Uh, primarily post 9/11 veterans, but actually veterans of all eras, to uh, to to get a higher education um, and to uh, have a, a, a higher trage- career trajectory. I think they're going to um, we're going to see the impact that we saw in the in the post World War II era, where these where the work of those veterans uh, is going to come in and uh, be a tremendous benefit to veterans. But I will say that there are um, a large number of uh, veteran service organizations that uh, that do uh, uh, great work on behalf of veterans uh, every day, uh, disabled American veterans, American Legion, ver- veterans of foreign wars, disabled veterans national foundation, uh, uh, wounded warrior project, just to name a few that um, um, are I think highly dedicated um, and uh, making a tremendous difference uh, in the lives of veterans in America as well as um, as society in general. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Rory Cooper, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service and thank you for your continued research and development to uh, to help our, our veterans uh, you know, live a better life. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah, we'll make sure to uh, – I continue to vote every day for People's Choice Awards, so uh, you, you at least have one every day for me. I know my director does the same, and we continue to ask our community to, to support you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. The VA has made it extremely easy to access information, to get out there and find benefits that are there for you. Veterans might be eligible for things that they had no idea they're eligible for, no matter what age you are. That's your benefit. That's what you've earned. Take advantage of it. And the only reason I am sitting here today talking to anybody is because of the VA. Explore the many ways VA benefits can help you purchase a home, earn a degree, advance your career, and so much more. Learn about VA benefits you may be eligible for. Visit explore.va.gov today. Earlier this week, some of you may have seen, I led a panel on Facebook Live. It was featured on the Department of Veterans Affairs Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash veteransaffairs. 
and we were discussing Explore VA. Explore VA is a site that lets veterans explore the benefits they may be entitled to. Explore.va.gov is the site, and it has information on disability claims, education benefits, home loans, and much more. If you click the menu tab in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see a benefits navigator option. That navigator is going to ask you a string of questions, and then it'll show you which benefits, based on your answers, you may be qualified for. You can do this as a veteran, you can do this as a spouse, you can do this as a caregiver. This is something. This is a site that's meant to be user-friendly for any person looking into benefits, whether it's for themselves as a veteran or uh, for a loved one that they're representing. It takes less than 20 minutes and is a very powerful tool. I highly suggest you use it. Uh, when you use it, please uh, give us some feedback. Let us know how you felt about the, about the, the tool and what you learned from it. Again, you can find that at explore.va.gov. Today's veteran of the day is Army veteran James Jimmy Buckland. Jimmy served operations in Panama, Desert Storm, Cobra Towers, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and Operation Enduring Freedom. We thank Jimmy for his service. To read Jimmy's full write-up and to nominate your own veteran of the day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 45. We're so close to 50, it's pretty exciting. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at D-E-P-T Vet Affairs. You can also follow Secretary Shulkin. He's at S-E-C Shulkin. That's Sec Shulkin. Follow us both for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.